1: through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552.
0: I'm so thrilled this evening to be joined with author Mary C. Bounds, Uh, who will discuss her new book on charter schools. This show is dedicated to Charlotte Hawkins Brown. The educator on her wedding day in 1912 was the founder of Palmer Memorial Institute in North Carolina. She was a suffragist and worked for our black women to have the same rights as black men. And white men were fighting for the early 20th century. She was the great aunt of singer Natalie Cole. She raised Natalie's mother and sisters when their mother died in childbirth, which was not uncommon in those days from infections and blood loss, et cetera. Women gave birth at home and prayed for the best. Mary C. Bounds is with us to talk about her new book, A Light Shines in Harlem, New York's first charter school in the movement it led. Uh, she had a forward done by iconic civil and human rights icon, Dr. Wyatt T. Walker, who's the co-founder of Cecilia Walker Charter School in Harlem. Uh, Miss Bounds, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you very much. I'm very happy to uh, be a guest
0: on your program. Excellent. I want you to kind of take us back to the beginning. Um, we're going to talk about the book in a second, but talk about your educational philosophy and why education as um, a a, a focus point is important to you? Well, um,
2: I uh, have always been interested in education and uh, worked for uh, newspapers for many years and have periodically written about education for various publications, including the Dallas Morning News and the New York Times. Uh, I have uh, two children, so naturally I would be interested in education. And what I found interesting was that my children actually went through two very different kinds of school systems, both public. Uh, they, We lived in Atlanta. They uh, attended, I guess, about the first half of their education in a public school in a large, unwieldy, troubled, actually, inner-city public school system, but they were in a little gym of a public school that actually worked. Uh, The second half of their uh, education was in a suburban school district, which was a very, you know, outstanding school system. So what I really realized was that there's not really one model for education, that high-quality education can be delivered in it, you know, many different forms. So when the opportunity came to write about charter schools, I didn't know a lot about them, but I jumped at the chance to to write about it and was open to the idea that, um, you know, there was not one way that children had to be educated in public schools. They could work in different ways.
0: Okay. Uh, and I'm being told by the producer in my ear that we have several callers who want to ask access- questions already. Oh, very good. Um, oh, no, very good. But uh, before we are able to do that, she is having a difficult time differentiating your number. Can you give us the last two digits?
2: Oh, with my number? uh
0: yeah.
2: It is uh, 1984.
0: Okay. Because oh, that's the last she, four. No, that's fine. 1984 will work. When she goes to mute and put people on, she didn't want to mute you unnecessarily.
2: Exactly. Um,
0: so, so we'll take calls as we go on but first uh before we do that tell us about the book a light shines in harlem. Um
2: the book is um a book about the first charter school that opened in New York state. Uh when the charter school first opened and just to sort of give you the backdrop of it um the charter law had just passed uh a few months uh well in late 1998 and the school didn't get its charter until uh, really the summer of 1999. So it had a very brief time to open. And I, I think the most striking part of the story in the book is that is that it was a, just a labor of love for a lot of different people in from various walks of life. Um, you know, one of the very important ones was Dr. Wyatt T. Walker, who had been Dr. Martin Luther King's chief of staff and had been an architect of some of the civil rights movement's most important and pivotal moments. Um, And uh, Dr. Walker had always believed that all children should receive a good quality education. He was one of the very first people who, you know, was saying that it was the civil rights and human rights uh, issue of the 21st century. Um, He had moved to Harlem and had addressed a lot of problems, but, Uh, Education seemed to be the one intractable problem that just never seemed to get better. And he teamed up with um, Steve Klinsky, who was a successful Wall Street star, and inner-city parents who, uh, the very first year, you know put their children in charter schools when no one really knew what they were so it's a story about the struggles that the school went through and how important it was to survive because the other schools the other two schools that opened that first year did not survive um and it's um you know about how <clears throat> important the school was there's also a public policy element to the book of you know, what were some of the lessons learned from uh, the early days of the charter movement and where's the charter school movement headed and, you know, what's the educational landscape like now for charter schools. So it's a broader story than just the history. It ties it all together. Uh, You know, and shows how Susulu Walker was a blueprint, you know, for existing charter schools and the creation of inner city schools. But, you know, as much as anything, it was you know showed that um it was such a collaborative experience, and of people who really all they really wanted was to create something larger than themselves so that there would be a meaningful choice of high quality education in an area that where schools had really been failing for
0: generations um, sure and, um, um, can, can you dig a little bit deeper into that? How were charter schools founded? They
2: were uh, founded, the first law passed in 1991 in Minnesota and in late 1988, 1988, New York passed its charter school law. It was a very tumultuous uh, time and there was actually very little support uh, of charter schools at that time in New York and really across the country, most people didn't know what they were. Uh, and uh, inner city parents really pushed for the charter schools, and there was an odd coalition in New York State, which was unusual in that uh, and a Republican governor, Governor Pataki, really pushed for them. He believed in school choice, and he was joined primarily by inner city parents who just really wanted good schools for their children, and. Mm-hmm. They passed the charter law. It's an interesting story how that happened. There was really no constituents for it other than those two groups and a few think tank types. But what happened was um, there was a very brief moment that the legislature legislature could uh, pass a pay raise for themselves because uh, they had to do it by the end of the year. So the governor... Uh, promised to uh veto their pay raise if they didn't pass through a decent charter school law, so it went down to the wire <laughs> and um the legislators um passed the charter law and they got their uh twenty five thousand dollar pay raise and New York got a charter school law that's that's how it happened but um uh, primarily it was you know really pushed by the inner city parents who Also didn't know much about charter schools, but they just knew that they had to have something better because uh, schools had failed in the inner city for just generations. And right before the charter school law was passed, a report came out that described huge swaths of the city as being, and this is their quote, educational dead zones, where... Mm where academic achievement was so poor that uh, children just didn't get any kind of a quality education. And this always is mind-boggling to me every time I look back, even through the book, and see this figure, that was 300,000 students in schools that were considered so poor that they were failing, I mean, I I've, every time I see that number, I still just I can't even visualize three hundred thousand students. So that was really the impetus for them being founded. That it wasn't that you know a lot of people were sitting back thinking about the pros and cons of them. They just knew they wanted something better for their children, and
3: Absolutely. they saw
2: in charter schools an opportunity that. You know, perhaps that was a vehicle. And at the very first uh, open houses for Susulu Walker, these parents came out. It was the summer of all the blackouts and brownouts, and it was hot, and the lights were flickering on, off and on. And they came out to this open house at Sasulu Walker. And at that point, they didn't even know if there would be enough students to fill the school Mm -hmm. up. And they had so many parents who wanted their children to go there and they were willing to take a risk that they ended up having to um, have a lottery even that first year. um, And, you know, for Dr. Walker, it was, you know, he had spent so many years in the Civil Rights Movement. Like I said, he went up to Harlem after... He completed his time or after he left the civil rights movement, and you know he Harlem at that time was had a lot of problems, and he just tackled the problems one by one you know he his his church built housing for senior citizens when nobody would go into Harlem and build housing and the crime was rampant, but that began to be improved, and there was just that one part of the Puzzle the piece, the education, which was so important to him, mm-hmm. and you know he just he looked at education as a, a, a con- continuation of the work that he did in the civil rights movement, and uh, and he also said that he knew that if Dr. King were still alive, he would have supported charter schools. He believed so firmly in education, and a lot of you'll hear a lot of people now say that education is a civil rights and human rights issue for uh, the moment but Dr. Walker was saying that 20 years ago that was his mantra and he truly believed that you know if all children weren't given a high quality education that um there was just a certain unfairness of that that was just a civil rights issue
0: absolutely i was very excited to uh, be speaking with you this evening Uh, because I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, I was uh, elected to a school board, a traditional public school board, and served five years in upstate New York. And there was a big debate about charter schools and traditional public schools, but what I ended up finding when I started doing more research, especially up in Albany at the New York State Education Department, is that charter schools, even though they weren't perfect, they had a lot of things that – uh, I felt were working for them that added to that quality of education, the given atmosphere, the uh, accountability for teachers and the different metrics that they use to measure success. And I always thought traditional public schools should adopt some of those principles and we should have worked hand in hand, uh, charter school and private school, or pub, uh, traditional public schools to really get the best quality education for our kids. But there was always this animosity that people had. You know, we're not working with charter schools. We don't believe in this. We don't believe in that. Why do you think there is so much tension? And what are the things that you think that can happen to kind of bring the forces together?
2: Um, well, the, um, you know, I think
0: it, it, it,
2: there was, in the, particularly in the beginning, and I think this has lessened up some, there was, you know, this idea that they, you know, could be a threat to the traditional public schools. Uh, now, as they've, you know, been around longer, increasingly there is, uh competition and i mean not competition there's more cooperation and that's something that you know people are talking about uh on the charter school side and the traditional public school side because they can b- both learn from each other and they can um you know there're good ideas coming out of both and so there is a movement to have more cooperation between the two because uh originally charter schools were designed to be laboratories of innovation where there would be innovative ideas that came out of them and you know if they worked they could be shared and uh but actually there is a movement and there are some really good you know things going on in terms of um uh, cooperation between the traditional and charter schools and hopefully that will only increase as as the two groups realize that they're really not in competition. And mm-hmm. they can really both learn from each other. And, you know, there are some uh, aspects of the charter schools that, like you mentioned, uh, attention uh, you know to achievement. Um, they have a longer school day. Uh, to a certain extent, what happened at Sasula Walker really was this, you know, blueprint for existing charter schools and creating inner city schools Um, and uh, so and and the second part of your question was let's see I've forgotten what it was
0: Um, Yeah, what are some of the things you think that we can apply from charter schools and traditional public schools to kind of Excuse me. So I think the ultimate goal should be to make traditional public schools better, right? Or is it the goal of charter school pro charter school people to kind of create, you know, this charter school movement and then leave the traditional public school system behind?
2: Oh, I, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think the latter is true. I don't think that. I really don't think that charter schools have any desire to, you know, excel and have the public schools left behind there's um all the people I've met in the charter movement really care about kids and really you know want kids to do well and so some of the uh, aspects of charter schools that that I think have become increasingly adopted by the traditional public schools is they tend to be very disciplined and some of these schools are in public school space where they share space so as the other part of the school will see these very disciplined schools, parents want that too for their kids in the traditional public school. Um, they, they do have that accountability built in because charter schools are given a contract and they have to meet or exceed the goals of that contract. And in exchange for that, they get this autonomy to achieve the goals however they want to. So, increasingly there's more accountability in schools um and i think that's something that you know has happened so there's a lot that you know has come out of the charter schools that that it seems to increasingly be you know adopted by the traditional public schools
3: right. but i really right. don't i don't
2: see them as i really don't uh see the charter schools is hoping that the other traditional public schools would fail so that they would look good. I just, that's not my sense of the people I've met who work in charter schools. I think they really, I think they really care about the kids and really want all Mm -hmm. kids to succeed and however they have to do that, they will.
0: Okay, sounds good. I think the early caller. on there was just
2: an unease there because nobody quite knew what to think. And I think most people now accept that charter schools are here to stay, and now that they've shown they can work, there's it's an increased cooperation between the two segments, which is how it
0: should be. Right. Let's go to one of the calls. Uh, last four digits, 0365, are you there?
4: Three eight six five, hello.
0: Three eight six five. Hello? You have a you have a question.
4: I do. I have a two part question. Um,
2: I wanted to ask Mrs. Bounds, do you think that the charter school enrollment will increase due to the Common Core teaching at public schools? And the second part of my question would be, how are charter curriculums different from Common Core? Um. Well, in terms of the first part of your question, um. Now, you know, it's important for everyone to realize that charter schools are public schools. They're just a different form of public school. And um, they have to teach the Common Core just like any traditional public school. Whatever the the uh, accountability test in a state are, that's what they have to teach. Um but i think that they um in terms of whether or not uh the common core would in, have them increase in number you know one of the things about charter schools is that they are more flexible than other schools so it's a little unclear to me if that if common core would have an impact on whether or not they increase in number but because they're flexible they can teach the common core in a way they have to achieve certain goals but they are able to teach it in the way that they can achieve those goals. They also have a longer school day typically so you know one of the concerns of educators in charter schools and traditional public schools is that they feel that you know they're having to spend large amounts of time on testing and teaching the Common Core so with a longer school day, that allows charter schools to perhaps teach the Common Core, but also uh, it allows them to, um, you know, have uh, design their curriculum like they would like to. Each school would sometimes likes to have their own unique stamp on their curriculum, so they have more time to do that. Um, and they're more flexible, and there is a debate about Common Core, and if it turns out that Common Core is scrapped in some states, uh, they, they're they more nimble, and charter schools could adapt to that more quickly if they had to than a larger sort of a bureaucratic, bureaucratic school system. Uh, but they do have to take the same uh, test. And then um, as far as their curriculum, how it's different, um, you know, each charter school is just unique. So it's not that they have a certain curriculum for all charter schools. There are charter schools that that uh, have dual language programs. There are charter schools that have a very rich music or art emphasis. So their their curriculums are all different. But I think what I'd say about how are they different than traditional public schools in a traditional public school system the curriculum is pretty much the same for the district whereas like new york city with its charter schools their their charter schools are able to devise the curriculums as they see fit and there're many different kinds as long as they you know teach what they're required to teach and that's okay, I think how they're different they're 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 you know, very diverse in terms
0: of their curriculums. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, thank do we you. have another, do we have another call on the line? Zero three six five. Yeah. This is zero three six five. three, six, five. You can, you can go ahead okay. with your question. Yeah. Hi. Um, my question is, so charter schools are, are a fairly new phenomenon. Um, and uh, they have more flexibility, are they more likely to employ non-union teachers? And if they are, could that mean that the success now is based on of enthusiastic teachers that maybe won't be replicated over time? Um,
2: there's no um, requirement that they have to be non-union. And, in fact, in New York State, they uh, – they can um, be union or not union. And some of the schools, um, they're actually charter schools that have been started by unions. And uh, there are networks of charter schools that actually, you know, really um, embrace the unions. Um, so there's no requirement that they can't be union. Uh-huh. Um, and so, in terms of whether or not they could be replicated, because they're not union, or they are union, it's kind of a non-issue because th- th- there are unions in the charter schools, and um, and they seem to be operating just fine.
0: Okay, thank you. Hello. Yes, yeah, so yep. I'm here. Um so uh, before we take any other call, I want to how did you get Dr. Wyatt uh to agree to do the foreword?
2: He was extremely helpful on this book. And I interviewed him, oh just extensively. I went down to Virginia and I talked to him. Uh he was extremely generous with his time and I say that in that I think that Illustrates how important this issue was to him and is to him, that he, he saw it as just being so important, education of all children, that he was willing to uh, do whatever he needed to do to get his message out. And so when we asked him to do the foreword, he didn't hesitate on it. And he wrote the foreword and was very happy to do it and has just been a really helpful fantastic partner on this and he has spent considerably uh, a considerable amount of time on this he was very mm-hmm. helpful in going over the manuscript and having everything so that it was factually correct and wow he just has a you know a feel for this that's I don't know who else would exactly like he does because he he had seen, you know, the situation for children, and his competence, mm-hmm. and he was just determined that that he really was going to do whatever he had to do to improve education, mm-hmm. long before anybody else was talking about that. All
0: right, All right. we have another so, caller nine six one ten.
4: Yes, Uh, I do have a question. You may have touched on some of this before. Um, Are there lessons that can be learned from the charter movement that can be used to improve not just charter schools but all schools, private, traditional, all schools?
2: There are lessons. And now that the charter school movement has been around for more than two decades now, there really are some lessons that are emerging. Um, One of them, um, and this is something that people in the inner cities knew, but not everybody knew this, is that high-quality education is a right that was not being met in many communities across America, and New York City was one example of that. I talked about the dead zones, educational dead zones, and again, that's not my term, that was the term used in the study, but that kind of failure in inner city, particularly in inner city educational systems, was not limited to just New York City. There were many other cities that had to the same problems. Um, we have also know that they can work and it's become clear now that charter schools really can work. It wasn't clear in the beginning that they could even work. So I think that hurdle's really been passed and one of the studies that is really considered to be the gold standard was done by a a uh, professor at Stanford University, Caroline Hoxby. She, she did a study that was different than most of the studies. Uh, it's considered to be the gold standard because what she did was she, she studied over a very long period of time charter school students who uh, won in the lottery and were educated in charter schools. And then she compared that to charter school students who were in the lottery, but they did not win. So it eliminated the argument that some people had against other studies by saying, well, charter school uh, students just have parents who are more interested in their education. Because she compared the two students in what was called an apples to apples comparison. And what she found out was that um the students who um actually won the lottery and and were in the um, charter schools they closed eighty six percent of what she called the Scarsdale Harlem achievement gap in math, sixty six percent in English. Uh for those of you who don't know, Scarsdale's a very affluent school district in uh right outside of New York City. And, I mean, pretty amazing when you consider that a large number of the charter school students are on free or reduced lunch. And uh, what it showed was that um, those students could really achieve at a very high level if given the opportunity. Uh, And the lotteried out students who ended up in the, uh, charter schools who went from kindergarten through eighth grades they didn't close that gap by much. So that was one of the landmark studies. Um, you know, we've also learned that they also can fail, and and there have been charter schools that have failed, and when they fail, they're closed, which some people would say that's actually their greatest strength, that when they're, you know, monitored correctly. That if they don't work, they're shut down. As opposed to some traditional public schools that that were just just went for generations that were failing. And, and you know, I'd sort of say there are a lot of lessons. But I think you know, the other one I'd point out is that that parents in disadvantaged neighborhoods clearly want charter schools. They're in. Uh, you know, in places like New York City, New Orleans is the public school system is is eighty or ninety percent charter school students now. Washington D C has a large number, Chicago has a large number. Um and there in a place like New York City there are fifty thousand students on the wait list. So there
0: mm-hmm.
2: clearly, you know, parents want the charter schools in places where schools have not worked. And, uh, you know, I'd point out, too, you know, one other thing I think is important is that it's just interesting to me that charter schools didn't end up being dominated by one political or economic, you know, side. Every president since President, you know, uh Bush, the first president bush all the way since then have favored charter schools um so it hadn't been a republican versus democrat idea and it's uh really attracted a very broad spectrum of people and everybody from dr walker like i said to you know conservative think tank types to business people to inner city parents And I think you know, it's people do recognize that it really is a, um, you know, continuation of the civil rights, you know, issues and
0: how important
2: how important it is really to the future of the country.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, We have another caller, twenty eight thirty. Are you there?
1: Yes. Hi. How are you? Hello. Yeah, I um am. I'm a, uh, a a physician and an educator, and I kind of was listening attentively. My name is Dr. Ishmael Griffin, and I have a couple of uh, observations on some of the comments that you've made. Yes, I agree that poor parents like charter schools, but what poor parents do not like is when their public schools are divested. In many parts of the country where charter schools have been introduced, they've been introduced in a way in which if a child leaves the public schools and goes to the charter schools the money is not returned to the public schools if they are then failed out of the charter schools so let me explain uh... in new jersey in newark for example a child can be accepted into the charter schools they can go there and if they flunk the money does not return to the public schools which means that for an allotment or a an accounting purposes the charter school gets the money but doesn't have the students this leads to a huge inequity in terms of the public schools and what happens with the process of charter schools enrolling and then failing out youth who they say do not fit. Um, If charter schools are to make the same type of investment in keeping children from certain socioeconomic strata, then we'd have a deal. But oftentimes they do not. So I don't agree with uh, with what you're saying uh, necessarily. I just think that the other thing as an educator that I've been involved in is a uh, on many different levels, uh, higher education, is systems where it's said that uh, black and brown youth cannot achieve because of entrance scores. And everything that I've known from being on admissions committees of selective high schools to colleges to medical schools suggests that there is a learning curve and that Black and brown students who otherwise might not have had adequate scores at one point in their life can achieve those scores later points in their lives. Point in fact, I've been involved with a medical school program in Havana, Cuba, a scholarship program for black and brown youth who are going back to work in underserved communities. Um, many of the students who go to the Latin American School of Medicine may not have the entrance requirements to medical schools in the United States. But what we're experiencing is that they're leaving scoring in the high ninetieth percentile on the entrance exams for specialty medical practice. Well
2: wow. so great.
1: um if we were to use any of the entrance requirements based upon testing that the charter schools now use, we would exclude youth that later in their lives or might have the potential to achieve. I wanna ask you something. Okay given the mechanism that you now see for uh selecting students into the charter schools how do we avoid um systems that close a door where there are potential students who would be able to benefit
0: well
2: the charter schools are now or uh, and they always have been students are selected by lottery and and Students sign up. Their families sign them up. So there, there's not a. It's not selective, as like a Meaning, private but what school But what I'm saying is that once they, get to school,
1: the, once they get to the charter schools, if they're flunked out, if there's no effort to keep them in, to retain them, then what promise do poor parents have?
2: Well, I, you know, that's not something that I've encountered and. It's charter schools have an obligation, just like any other public school, to work with the students, and or do they? My impression, uh, yes, I do believe that. They don't.
1: They're private. They're private entities, so they don't.
2: Well, see, that's that's a very that's a that's a very common misconception, and every time I give a talk, this comes up by people who. Uh, think that charter schools are private in some way, but they are public and they have to follow the same rules in terms of, you know, special education, providing for English language learners, and they're not allowed to uh, kick children out of the school. And the lotteries are truly, for anybody who comes and has their name in the lottery, they are open to anybody and parents now know about charter schools so it's not selective it's not private and that and that is what a lot of people think
1: i but think, I think that the, the, the lottery i agree with but the policies of the charter schools are well documented across the united states where they do not retain all students they do have the priority or the prerogative to dismiss students and if you look at the data on 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 the institution of charter schools in most urban areas, the students that are uh ejected, if you will, are those who represent what is called the underclass or the very poorest. And it becomes another pecking order where we create isms within systems that are intended to to, to educate all children.
2: The um, They have to follow very strict guidelines and would, you know, really have to follow the very strict guidelines about, you know, how that would be handled. And I will say that, you know, something that's that's come up that's an interesting and relates to what you, you're talking, I mean, sort of relates to what you're talking about is that, you know, through the years it's been um, uh, reported that charter schools tended to, Well, there are percentages in New York City and across the country of children with special needs, special learning needs, and English language learners that they're underrepresented in charter schools.
1: Of course, because they're not selecting them.
2: Well the lobby
1: the lottery probably isn't um isn't equitable. Well no, I I
2: the lotteries are objective and they're open to everybody, but what a recent study that just came out really like a month or two ago found was that yes that was true, but they actually studied those students and they compared the students who were English language learners and special need learners in the charter schools to children who weren't. And actually, the percentage of students who left the charter school who weren't English language learners or weren't uh, children who had special learning problems, they left at a greater rate from the charter school's than the English language learners and the special needs learners, yeah,
4: we're, we're which was surprising,
2: about. And, um, and but the but the conclusion of that was that, and and what a lot of people in the charter movement are trying to address now is that, but what they found was that they didn't apply in the same numbers. They didn't apply for the lottery in the same numbers or as. It, it, so what the um, people in the charter movement are trying to do now is to, you know, try to determine why are they not applying to the charter schools in such numbers. And so, you know, it could be a language barrier is one possibility. It could be a misunderstanding. But, but, But what this recent study that took place over a four-year period showed was that the charter schools actually retained a higher percentage of those ELL learners and children who had special needs then With, the percentage of we're talking
1: of, about different categories if you're talking about uh, truancy students who are not special learners and that are deemed to be truant and kicked out what are the what are the numbers suggest there you know we have a huge problem in this country of stereotyping black and brown youth truth. and it's not it doesn't necessarily mean only those students who are deemed special learners But if you're from a poor back household and you're deemed truant, you can be kicked out of the private schools. And at least in one jurisdiction, I know that the money does not return to the public schools. So what happens is that there's a money drain and a brain drain from the public schools. And so what we leave as a remnant in most of these communities in urban areas, such as Newark, New Jersey, is failing underfunded public schools with students who are then kicked out of the charter schools and then returned to the public schools without the money following them. This is a tremendous, tremendous problem.
2: Now, um, they have very strict guidelines about that. I will say that they can't just arbitrarily kick students out for
1: This is problems. America. A,
2: they have to you, follow you, the same you, guidelines you, that the traditional public schools have to what, follow.
1: What guidelines would you do you think that they do follow? It's a subjective system. The teachers make an evaluation of the students. I I am a a physician, uh, a licensed physician in the United States. At one point in my life in New York City public schools, I was placed in a classroom for uh, special education needs. It's about the time when I was in the second grade. Um, If my parents had been the uh, less than aware parents that they were, I would have remained and probably been cycled out in the New York City public schools and may have ended up in a jail or designated a truant. Right. And I, and I remember distinctly having grades on my uh, report card for behavior, which were you, you, U you, you. And so I have lived the majority of my life now rejecting the premise that children can be thrown away and segmenting school systems. Because if we did that, we would move in an opposite direction.
2: Right. Why don't
1: we just fix the public schools?
2: Well, you know, that is uh, – and, and uh, you know, just keep in mind that charter schools are public schools, and they really do have to follow the same guidelines in terms of, you know, how they handle students, how they handle discipline problems as so, the traditional public schools.
1: So what's the balkanization? Why, why – what's the difference then?
2: Well, they have to follow the same, you know, regulation rules that a public – Traditional public school would have to follow, and they're not allowed to just arbitrarily kick kids out of the school. they well, have that, very 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 rules for that
1: i i wanna i wanna just alert you to the fact that that is what is happening in New York city in new York, that is what is happening
2: and um just because uh, that's not something I've encountered or um but it is. They do have to follow really the same kind of rules on that, and um, they're really just you know. I know they are not allowed to just say, okay, you know, it's time for you to go to the public schools. Um, well, it
1: doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't end up being that way. It ends up being that the student is truant. The student is uh, consistently failing. The student is fo- isn't following instructions. That kind of thing. You know, it 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 never is. You know, racism wouldn't be blatant. Then it it it's, nowadays it just can't be.
2: Right. So and, it, it's um, never
1: it's never manifest that way.
2: Well, just keep in mind, you know, that that they they do have to accept whoever wins in the lottery. But and, they don't
1: have to retain whoever wins in the lottery. Uh, uh,
2: no, but uh, they've got to be very – I just think they have – I mean, they do have to follow the same rules that any – you
0: know, the traditional public schools have uh, uh, to Mary, follow about that. Uh, Mary, uh, uh, one quick question. Uh, if someone finds themselves in that situation, if uh, uh, a parent of a student who gets kicked out uh, from a charter school and has to go back to a traditional public school and the, the issue of the money, is there any recourse? How does someone say, wait a second, uh, you know, as the doctor was talking about, if someone is that person, how do how do they get recourse in that situation? Or is there no process?
2: Well, they're not really allowed to. I mean, they would be treated in a charter school exactly like they would be treated in a traditional public school. And keep in mind, as far as the money, the money always follows the student, always follows the student. Their funding is, charter school's funding is based on uh, a per-student basis. So if a student goes back to the traditional public school, the money follows the student. That's how the funding is set up. It's not like the charter school keeps the money for that student and kicks them out of the school. Even if, even and, if it's
0: past the December deadline. Pardon? Even if it's past the December
1: deadline. Exactly. It, it is not returned. It's an accounting sort of phenomenon. that the money isn't returned in that cycle, and it may not even be returned in a two-year cycle according by the uh, by the uh, uh, accounting mechanism. So. It's one of these things where we have to be very, very careful.
2: Yes, but I I do. You know, I'd be real surprised if it was two years. I think that's by year, and and the money's going to follow the student always. And and like I said, the charter schools they can't just be willy-nilly kicking kids out of school. They've got to follow the exact same procedures, um, discipline. well, we uh, have a we have a problem with we um, have a
1: problem with school oversight. Period. And if there were watchdogs that we could rely upon, then I think that uh, we would have a little bit more comfortability. However, the problem has always been historically that the watchdogs aren't there, and so atrocities happen. And if you multiply that, there's a multiplier effect. You know, take a hundred kids right in a in a jurisdiction and they're moved in a single year, after September 1st, if you will, from the charter school back to the public schools, then you've got a problem. Who monitors that?
2: Well, you know, if they move, it's likely by choice, because uh, the the charter schools really can't just say, okay, we don't want to have you anymore, go back to the public school. They're not allowed to do that. And uh, that's just, you know, it would be a choice that the student makes but as far as the, uh tr- charter schools saying okay you know we're fed up with you you've got to go back to the tr- traditional public schools they're just not allowed to do that they have to follow very strict rules and uh in terms of the entrance there they really they cannot pick and choose who comes there uh now do the students choose to go back Possibly, or you know, they can. They can leave at any time. Um, but um, the charter schools can't just decide. Oh, we don't want this kid. You got to go back. They just—they're not allowed to do that. The you know, law is very clear about that.
1: Well, it and never that, comes across uh, that that direct, but there are ways to ostracize students out of public schools. And I mean, out of charter schools. That that that.
2: And it could just be, you know, a difference in philosophy. Um, But uh, they're not really. But they're not. I mean, they're not allowed to just kick kids out of school and send them back to the traditional public schools.
1: Well, as with most things, I like to see the numbers on, particularly by economic strata, um, what happens to youth that uh, are entered into a lottery and attend charter schools of those looking at the recidivism rate of those students who ended up leaving the charter school for whatever reason and then to do an analysis of uh the economic background and then also the reasons why the uh... the students left the charter school system right mm-hmm.
2: and uh... you know it's it you'd have to also you know think in terms of the students who left the traditional public schools and You know, children who leave the traditional public schools,
1: you
2: know, are also face a very bleak future too.
1: Yeah. Well, the the charter schools, if we are going to endorse them, we're endorsing them on the premise that they do better. So if they can assure us that they can uh, do better with the most hard to educate, uh, then I would be for them. But until they sort of establish that. through well published studies, I don't know what the difference is.
2: Well, you know, the uh, vast majority in a of charter school students in a place like New York City are underprivileged. The law was set up to uh specifically to say that they would be set up in places that where the educational needs were the greatest and the You know, chances of academic failure were the greatest. So it's not like, from, you know, that there's this uh, large group of very, you know, privileged kids at the charter schools and they get to stay there and the underprivileged get kicked out. It's a very large percentage of free and reduced lunch. Yeah,
1: when they say underprivileged, they're going by zip codes. Uh, there's a, a tremendous amount of social compression in most communities in the United States. And True. so within a, within a a certain zip code, you can find children of two-parent, uh, two-earning households versus those that are not. True. You can find children who are on public assistance and those that are not. And so what we're talking about is getting going beyond more than just a zip code analysis and right. looking at exactly the economic and financial background of those students who are going into charter schools. Quite in fact, I lived in East New York, grew up in East New York, Brooklyn New York, but both my parents were earning. There were many families there uh that lived near me who did not have two a two family uh two earning household right. and so I can't say that I was uh the average uh student in that zip code, and right. so the thing is that we have to really look very carefully at what's happening with this because we have a, a, a there's a risk of creating another strata. the the low class and then what is known as the underclass that Orlando Patterson wrote about. And we have to, and I think that most progressive people, you know, I reject the premise of creating another class, another strata of underclass in in our public school systems or our school systems.
2: True. And, um, you know, if if you look at the numbers of the uh, charter school students, though, in New York City and in places where there's a high concentration of them, it is just, in a huge way, um, educating children who are, well, on the free and reduced lunch program, which most people think is, you know, a good measure of income levels, and it's, they're, that's, primarily who goes to the inner-city charter schools like in New York City, New Orleans, Washington, D.C. So that's that's who those schools are educating. And they come in, you know, uh, I know I've talked to teachers and people at Sasula Walker. They've had kids who've come in who've been quite troubled. And they have to take whoever walks in the door, and they've ha- and you know they've had success with those kids. It's a structured environment, um, you know. They've had a lot of success with them, but they all the charter schools have their share of students who you know just have problems, like lots of other schools. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, my experience has been that they really work with them, and try to and can have great success with them. I mean, nobody's going to be 100% perfect with that, but um, they are, uh, the schools, the percentage is extremely high in in places with large concentrations of charter schools that of minority children and, and children who, you know, are not from families that have large incomes. So, okay. you know that's that's who that is the makeup in places like New York City, New Orleans, um, you know, Chicago, Washington D.C., and that's where the largest concentration of charter schools is. And uh, in some states, they were designed to go into those neighborhoods. Oh,
0: that's really? Fun. Uh, let's move on. What do you think about vouchers, personally? Yeah. You know,
2: I um kind of my knee jerk reaction is I like the idea of public school choice. I'm not sure about vouchers. Um I like I mean I public school choice I really believe in and it can be charter schools, it can be public school choice within a a school district. Um, uh, where I grew up in Three Fort Louisiana, they have a great public school choice system where um kids go to they have various magnet programs and they have all kinds of programs and they can go to a neighborhood school they go to you know other schools I, I, vouchers I'd have to really think about it and okay. uh, uh in a perfect world there's school choice within a public school setting whether that be a charter school or magnet schools, um or some school systems are just outstanding and uh, you know, you have those kind of systems. But um I think the jury's out on that and I know you know, there are people who like the idea of vouchers but you know, I would have to really think about it and okay. um Fair I, I'm not sold on that at this point. But you know, again, wouldn't close that avenue off, but um, I, but public school choice, in my opinion, does seem to work. And and like I said, there are certain places where they don't really need public school choice because the schools really work well. But certainly, in places where schools have failed for generations, uh, families should not have to continue to send their kids to the same schools that they went to that failed, same schools that their parents went to that failed. Some of these families I met, they're into three generations of it now. And uh, I and I do think that that's really wrong. And there should be a choice for those parents.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find uh, that charter schools really try to get involved in the community in terms of the underlying issues? For example, the School for Prison Pipeline. Um, do you think charter schools should have the responsibility, especially because they have outside sources of income to help try to eradicate some of the issues that's in the communities?
2: In other words, should they be involved in the community too? Uh, well, but specifically dealing with Having a, sort of a hard time hearing you here, we have a not a great connection. We seem to be getting cut on and off. Hello?
0: Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, yes, now. Yes. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you, there, there are a lot of issues in some of these low-income communities, you know, the school-to-prison pipeline, gang violence, um, and, you know, the lack of uh, fathers in the household. I, I wonder if charter schools especially because they have a lot of outside income that feeds their accounts, if they are or should be in a position to uh, develop community-based programs to deal with those issues?
2: I, I think that, um, you know, there are charter schools that are involved in that, and I the charter schools I've been in, they really make a huge effort to work with the families and whatever the – you know problems that the children bring to school they really try to address those they understand that you know if a child um is in a family who doesn't send them to school they have to really work with the families on that um so you know there is an effort to do that and i think they're quite aware that of the issues that you know some children face and make quite an effort to try to Do whatever they can to, uh, you know, so that the children can learn when they come to school. And, um, you know, they do that. And there are some, uh, you know, charter networks that do get outside money. And a lot of those same organizations are really working to, um, um, you know, to do important things in the community. But keep in mind that. Uh, so a lot of the charter schools, including like Susulu Walker, they have they, it operates in a self sustaining way. Now, there's never enough money. In fact, you know, one of the problems that's just the number one problem of charter schools all over the country is is that they do not get funded at the same level as traditional public schools that's another misconception uh people will say well they take away money from the public schools but what happens is um like uh, this is just a universal problem with them um they get a certain per capita funding which is a complicated formula that nobody understands but most people in the charter school will say it's lower than the traditional public schools they Deduct for some services that the charter schools say they would rather provide themselves. But on top of that, there's no funding for real estate, or has been no funding. Recently, there was the um, situation in New York City where the, uh, you know, uh, they had the situation with real estate funding that, you know, the governor and the mayor were involved in, and it ended up that New York City's going to have to provide um, either free space in schools for new uh, or or expanding charter schools or they have to provide money to rent in a private facility but it left out about a third of the charter schools and across the country other charter schools don't have that arrangement Um, and in New York State and I've, I've read actually that this is a pretty comparable figure across the U.S. Charter schools End up getting about um anywhere from sixty five percent to seventy percent of what uh charter school- what traditional public schools spend per student, so you know that's just a problem that is Across the board with charter schools thank you uh, uh, and and closing, like that why don't many school most most charter schools are really self sufficient and you know have to operate on the budget that they have and don't have this large influx of money that
0: comes in mhm uh, in closing, why don't you tell a lot of people where you can get the uh, the book where they can learn more information about you and the work you're doing?
2: Oh, thank you for asking that The book is available at all you know websites uh uh and bookstores amazon.com barnes and noble uh and various you know uh websites where people purchase books and in bookstores and the website also has a link to uh some of the places where people can purchase books and it's very easy to remember the website is www.alightshinesinharlem.com and the Facebook page is also very easy to remember. It's you can Google Facebook, and it's a light shines in Harlem. But it's easily available uh, at any of the uh, you know online websites or in bookstores. Or um, and um, you know I encourage everybody to take a look at the website. It's got some of the reviews. The book has gotten really great reviews and including in the New York Times and the uh, Huffington Post and uh, the Harvard Kennedy School Education Next uh, journal. And it uh, was listed on Real Clear Politics. And uh, people could get on the Facebook and the website and, and look at some of the reviews. And it was, it's was it been endorsed by very prominent people. So, uh, And then it will have links as to where people could buy it from those sites also
0: mm-hmm. thank so you so it's very much and, available.
2: and uh, I you know enjoyed the conversation very much
0: oh this has been so enlightening you know I've, I've done a number of these interviews and this is uh, certainly one of the top three.
2: Oh well thank you very much I you know we'll talk about it anytime you're interested
0: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And the questions and, uh, and were great.
2: Everybody had really good questions. I enjoyed, really, really enjoyed listening to, I believe it was Dr. Griffin, I think he said was his last yeah. name. And, you know, just, you right. had
4: some, You're right. No, very I'm interesting Mary, thoughts.
0: You right. Thank you so much, Mary C. Hello,
4: Ms. Downs. Thank is Leslie you.
0: Pres-
4: Can you hear me, Ms. Downs? Yes, Leslie. How are you? I'm doing great. I just wanted to give the other calls an opportunity to respond to, Mr. Uh, to Dr. Griffin because what you said um, was so true. And we still only have one, I think, one or two callers left on the line. And I don't want to be rude. I really want to find out if you have anything to say about what Dr. Griffin um, said, you can please do so.
2: Well, you know, I I, I was very interested in what he had to say. And, um, you know, I just, um, you know, really listen to that with an open mind. And I um, I do know that, you know, children dropping out of school is a problem. I think it's not something that – I don't think that's an issue that's um, really – it's not an issue that I see as a charter school versus a traditional public school issue it's an issue that's universal which is a huge issue and i do understand what he's saying about children who get written off and we all know stories of that people that that happened to who ended up being very successful and then we know stories of you know people who that happened to who it shouldn't have happened to and just had disastrous results and you know, so I really hear what he's saying. i just think it's uh, it's it's more of a discussion in the context of you know public education as a whole. And um, you know, I was very interested in what he had to say. Really,
4: great, and, great. I and I just wanted to give the other callers a chance. Three eight six five. You're on the line. Uh, so are you. Uh, two eight three zero. If you have anything to say before we close the show, if not, we're going to
1: close tonight. Yes, Ms. Bounds, I really appreciate appreciate your perspective. This is Dr. Griffith again. (laughs) Um, I I guess my perspective is that charter schools should make a difference. And um, I think that, you know, I appreciate getting the information on charter schools. The thing is that with the public schools, the the issue really is the students that don't make it in the public schools. And so right. I would actually propose something else. I would propose that the charter schools, that there not be a lottery. That the lottery be that the charter schools take those students that have uh, had problems in the public schools and see if they, we would uh, see a difference then. I'm interested in proactive means of educating every child. Right. And well, so you know, the, um, if the lottery is, becomes a cherry, pick, cherry picking mechanism. And it's
2: not a cherry picking
1: I meaning mean, I, meaning, I can... meaning either upfront. through this recidivism, you know, however it happens. I mean, you can affect the cherry-picking mechanism by having students drop out, however which way it happens. But what I'm trying to say is that if the charter schools are going to be effective, let's see if they're effective with with the most problematic. If we can demonstrate that, then I'd say I'd I'd be in favor of it. But I don't think that the charter schools as they exist now have demonstrated that.
2: I think that they have made a huge difference for a lot of kids, and kids I have met at the charter schools, I am just convinced that they've made a huge difference in their lives. Now, an interesting idea, and it probably is done someplace, an interesting idea would be a charter school for students who, um, you know, really are headed to trouble. But on the other hand, you know, then A lot of people don't want to, you know, put children like that, you know, they don't want to isolate them from the regular population and would say that's not necessarily good either. But, you know, I just am convinced that there are a lot of children in the charter schools who it's really going to make a huge difference in their lives. And, you know, there really are examples that, you know, that I've run into of you know, kids who came in who really were having problems and they came into a very disciplined system and learned and you know, started learning to love I mean, loving to learn. Um and so I- I'm convinced it's made a difference in kids' life and it's probably turned around, you know, a large number of kids' lives. Uh but I hear what you're saying and you know, I just—I uh, know you know that you're sincere, and I think everybody I've ever met at charter schools is sincere about taking what comes and really trying to work with them. And I think that that's a very important discussion. And but I think it's a discussion for just public education in general. It's a—you know—what do we do about that? It's not limited in my mind to charter schools it's just a a discussion that, that we really should have in a more vigorous way and really try to come up with creative solutions but not limit it to what are the charter schools going to do because as successful as the charter schools have been as much as they've grown they're still only nationally I think a little less than 5% of the population even though they've had explosive growth So if we're going to address that problem, we have to really think about it as the whole overall problem and discussion. And, you know, what as a society do we do about that? it's not in, you know, anybody's best interest to write off a large segment of our population. Uh, Aside from the fact that, you know, people Mm -hmm. who mean well don't want to see that. It's just not good.
1: Mm -hmm. Agreed.
2: I really enjoyed and'm so glad you you know came on the program you've just been you've added so much to the program it's made our discussion so much more interesting and profound and thought provoking and when i am got off the phone, I'm gonna really think about what you said, so you've really added so much to this conversation
1: All right, thank you and
2: thank you. uh you know really enjoyed talking to you, and I'm gonna think about what you said okay. well, thank you huh. appreciate
4: it. Okay, then that'll be our show. I apologize. Our host is gone. Roy has left the show, and I just want to thank <laughs> Hello. everybody. Hello. I just Hello. want to thank everyone. Hello. Thank you, you very much.
3: Yeah, I wanted to make a comment, please.
4: Thank oh. you. Okay, you're free. Go
3: ahead. Well, what I was going to say I've been watching education of African American children since Oceanville and Stu in New York back in the '70s.
4: Right. And
3: I hear all these suggestions, but nobody listens to what the parents say that they want. When poll African American parents overwhelmingly say they want school choice, including full vouchers, so they can determine the environment that their children are. Educated gang skills, nobody wants to listen to that, and there are many private all black schools where the children come from socioeconomic conditions similar to anyone that any of them that you can name in the urban city, and they do just well, right so at what point in time will we start listening to these black parents who say they want full charge, which includes full vouchers? You need good public schools, charter schools, private schools, boarding schools, and the whole gamut. But we always seem to have these organizations that think best for the parents, think best for the students, and you continue to have the same thing as I have witnessed for at least four decades.
2: Well, you know, that's an interesting point, and it's why, you know, I'm not sure what I think about that. And, um, you know, like I said, I know I think that school choice is a great thing. I really believe that. And I do think it gives accountability to the system. But, uh, you know, I I understand what you're saying. And, you know, parents who's, who have, you know, the resources do have school choice. And, um, you know, I, I think the concern a lot of people have, though, is that then it you know, uh, you know, you have groups of kids and public schools are supposed to be for, you know, everybody. And you have all these kids going to schools and they're exposed to different, you know, kinds of people. Um, but I also can understand how, you know, a parent in the inner city wants the full range of choices.
1: Well, and, I would disagree.
2: And you know, here you're you're telling me that you've watched it for four generations. I ran into people who, you know, three generations, which was astonishing to me that the same school for three generations could be failing.
3: Well and, I can say what you know, thing
2: I have this. to say, you know, if I was in a situation, you know, maybe I would, you know, want the full well, range well, of options.
3: Well the thing is is to give the parents what they the peak parents what they want. And I can say one thing about this. You didn't get my children. Is was no way in the world I was going to put my children in this mess. And I just feel, and I work in the public schools. We help to form schools, especially uh, cultural-themed schools, whether here in St. Louis. We had them in Kansas City. You had schools in Kansas City, cultural-themed schools in Kansas City, that was ranking in the top six in the state of Missouri, public schools, and they closed them. So give parents what they say they want. Then if the outcome is not what it should be, then they're the one to blame.
2: And um it's a very that's a very complicated issue. And uh you know, in a perfect world, like I said, in a perfect world, there's school choice within the public school arena, whether it be charter schools or magnet programs um or schools that just work. Um, but um and then, if I don't know if that's not working, where do you go from there? Um, and uh, I do know that I, I always think about those parents who were at those first lotteries, and you know, think how on earth would somebody take such a bold step and and you know come out on a night like that and put the kids in a school they didn't even really know what it was nobody knew what what a charter school was or very few people knew what charter schools were and you know the only answer you can give is that the schools were so poor that they were willing to take a chance on something else and they really 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 wanted good schools for their kids just like everybody else and they
3: well i have a, watched a choice i have watched magnet schools here we're in the inner city where black children that stay across the street and around the corner couldn't go to the school because you didn't have enough white children sitting in the desk. That was stupid. I've watched black children bust out into the county schools. And when I go out there, the only way that the the, the, the whites took the students is that the dollar amount had to be one and a half or two times as greater than the dollar amount then as, if they were to sit there in the public school in the city. When you go out there, you see all these luxurious buildings, these athletic facilities they it got so embarrassing that they got out of the program so as I said before, instead of coming up with all these uh we don't know what this, that, and the other. let the parents have what they want. It's their children while we continue to use these children as commodity wheat, flour, rice, and sugar, and continue to destroy generation after generation especially these black kids who are at the bottom of every socioeconomic measurement here in the United States. Sir, sir,
1: why wouldn't these parents then ask for the same funding educational leverage, levels in the public schools? Why don't they advocate right where they are? I, I see a, a, a really a tendency toward separatism. And I got there. an
3: answer for that, too, sir, because here in St. Louis, the public schools in the city of St. Louis have more ADA, that's average daily attendance dollars revenue, than schools in the in the rural areas.
0: We yeah, have so, school so, okay. here,
3: school districts here, two school districts here, Clayton and Leduc, which is private.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: They receive ninety-seven percent of their funding from the local concern. So then, if they're black from the federal parents, government, they, very little from the state.
1: So then, if there are black parents so concerned, then why don't they advocate for their children within the public school system? I just don't get it. It's one thing to call for, uh, you know, your children to leave a school system, but it's another thing to do so when you see overwhelmingly that those same black parents are not investing. Not engaged.
3: Well, that's not, not true. I've seen, the... I've seen parents in Detroit come out five thousand strong to school board meetings. Mm-hmm. I've seen them come out in Kansas City school District five hundred stones, five hundred strong in school board meetings. We do come, They do come out to meetings mm-hmm. here in the Saint in Saint Louis Public School District. But if you want to speak, you got to write your question. Yeah on a piece of paper and put it in a box, and they pull and choose what they want to hear. Well, I
1: can I can go from my experience. I am the proud product of a parent, a mother, who was part of the PTA. It was part of the PTA when I was in grade school, junior high school, and high school. I left the New York City public schools, and I ended up going into college at Harvard University. Same public school systems in one of the worst districts, in, supposedly, in New York City. So I'm not sure that we can give up on the public schools. I said make the public schools accountable. The need and, to know, separate the, the need to separate. I just, you know, I hear a lot of you know, exclamation and uh, I don't get it.
3: Well, I can tell you what it is, sir. Your, your school first you got this tremendous influence from this teachers union. I've seen teachers union to threaten outstate and not only teachers union but the NAACP, when we had a representative had wanted to have a scholarship program where businesses could sponsor children to go to school whatever they want and be able to write it off against their taxes. I've seen the NAACP threaten out state representatives and say we will accuse you of racism if you vote for it. I've seen the teachers' union do the same underhandedness. Parents want one thing, the teachers' union will buy off the state reps and even the local reps. So I'm not saying that you need to get rid of all public schools. I'm saying parents should have a right, to if they want to send their child to an excellent public school, which I can know of many, Malcolm X there in Detroit, Paul Robeson in Detroit, you got them everywhere. But if they want to go elsewhere, they should have a right to take their child where they want.
1: Well, you know, sir, with all due respect, education is not a commodity that even parents have a choice about. I'm a physician. Parents don't have a right to 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 not have their children be, be, be received good health care. Um, and there are some parents that don't have a choice because they're not in a position to make the request. So you have to treat education like a public good, just as the post office. It is not something that can be put on the private market. And the way to effectively deal with education in the United States is for advocacy on the level in which you fund a common system. Otherwise, you get balkanization, you get... Cherry picking, and you you get creations of different kinds of classes. You create an underclass,
3: and I and I no, what I you're don't. Saying. I don't think you will. You got an underclass now, and nobody knows it better than I do because so then, I'm part so, of that underclass. Yeah.
1: So then, so it, then, and so I got then, a
3: choice: to whether to use yes. the post office or pay. On if you can afford to pay uh,
1: UPS or or FedEx, but the thing about it is, is that you you have to look at it in in, in that way. Otherwise, it it creates inequity.
4: Hello. Yeah.
0: I'm okay,
4: Doctor okay. Griffin, and and I just want to end the show on that note. And again, thank you for uh, staying so long. The show was supposed to be over about an hour ago. <laughs> and um thank you Mary by say, the you way you know to the
2: two gentlemen there you you've really raised some really interesting points that i think our audience will you know take away and really think about and um you know it's a complex issue and um i hope that you know the listeners will really think about it and um you know look at it from different viewpoints
1: Yes, thank you so much.
2: And uh, I appreciate your joining the program. It's been interesting for me.
1: Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hello?
1: Good evening and blessings. And welcome to another installment of the Just for Freedom State.
4: This show is produced by.